With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. W-P-H-A-T You're listening to the number one health and wellness podcast. The place where health and consciousness connect. Perfectly, Perfectly healthy, healthy and tone, tone radio, radio, radio. With your host, Darren McDuffie. And now, prepare to get fat. What's cracking peeps and welcome back to another episode of Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. I'm your show host, Darren McDuffie, alias Fat Man because I help you become perfectly healthy and toned. And this episode is being brought to you by PerfectlyHealthyAndToned.com. Today's episode is with Avita Oshell, and we are talking about her book, Healing and Prevention Through Nutrition. If you've been checking the shows out, I know that shows have been coming one, two, three, four at a time. And I've scheduled a lot of these just because I've been doing quite a bit of traveling and I had to schedule these kind of back to back to get everybody on. But these are some really good shows. Wanted to remind you about the previous episode with Deb Shapiro on Your Body Speaks Your Mind. Really in-depth episode we did on how the body speaks to us. So I would advise you again to go back and listen to these episodes because you're going to be learning a lot more when it comes to the physical body and also to consciousness. And that seems to be the theme. And like I said on podcast, this is a road that I've been going down, a journey that I've been wanting to share with the audience. And I'm learning more and more about how our thoughts seem to create things that will manifest in our bodies. And we talk a little bit about that on today's show as well. So before we get into the show, just wanted to give a big ups to Yamoon. I guess that's what the name is, Yamoon, who gave me a really good review on iTunes. And I would encourage you, if you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please leave me a review. It helps me out greatly. And again, Yamoon, thanks again if you're out there listening for your review. I really appreciate it. Now, today's show, again, is healing and prevention through nutrition. Lots of good things that you're going to learn on this show. I'm not going to ramble on. I'm just going to tell you what you're going to learn. So pay attention. So here's what you are going to learn on today's show with Avita Oshel and her book on healing and prevention through nutrition. The first thing is how to get out of survival mode. I know when I first got started on my journey, I was in survival mode. And we talk a little bit about that on this show of really getting yourself out of survival mode so you can expand your consciousness and move forward with your life in such things as even choosing food. The next thing is what is inflammation? If you don't know what inflammation is and oxidation, of stress, Avita is going to give us a really good rundown on that. Why is state of mind more important than food? If you've been following the podcast for any amount of time, you'll know that I spent a great deal of discussion on really changing your thoughts, getting out of negative thought patterns, and then getting your mind to think of things from a different viewpoint. Why are there so many perceptions of healthy or what we call healthy eating? I really enjoy Avita's perspective on this because I know myself when I came into my health journey, 
I had things that I thought were healthy. And later on, as I became a bit more seasoned, I learned that those things that I thought were healthy were not healthy at all. The last thing is we talked about potassium and sodium balance in this show. And I think that that's something that's missing. A lot of the minerals have antagonists and we'll get into a little bit more on the show here about potassium and why that is important especially when you are taking in things that have high sodium in them so that's what you're going to learn on this show now let's get into Avita's bio. Avito Shell is a consciousness expansion teacher who blends the best of science, spirituality, and holistic principles. With over 15 years of experience in the field of health and nutrition, she provides educational empowerment through her writing, speaking, and teaching. Avita is the founder of Healthitarian and creator of a collection of over 1,000 free essays, articles, recipes, as well as nearly 500 videos to date. Avita's book is called Healing and Prevention Through Nutrition. Enjoy the episode. What's up, peeps, and welcome back to another episode of Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. Today we are discussing another book, another great episode here, Healing and Prevention Through Nutrition with Avita Ocho. Avita Ocho, welcome to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. Thank you so much, Darren. It's a pleasure to be here and join you today. Thank you. I had to track you down. I've been trying to get you on for, for a while and so reached out to my assistant and my assistant finally got a hold of you and I'm so glad to have you on tonight. Your book is really a good book and really ready to discuss it tonight with you. So my obligatory question for everyone is usually how did they get into health? So how did you start your health journey? Oh, great start. For me, it was something that, you know, I believe is very much a part of my life path. So it came, you know, as my very first memory served me right back down to my high school years when I was a teen trying to figure out, you know, what should I do with the rest of my life? And there's always been this inclination to study the human body, to help people in some way, to not so much I didn't know at that point yet to what degree I would be teaching, but there was always this just great curiosity and drive towards all topics related to our health and our well-being and how our body works. And so those were my very first memories in terms of how I got, you know, into just the general ideas of health. And then as I proceeded into my post-secondary education, I became even more focused on the biology of the human body and psychology of our mind as well. And it wasn't though until a few years after that, when I took on a fully holistic approach to understanding human health and nutrition and what truly it means, you know, to live with vitality, to have optimal health. Because as we know, in our society, you know, there's many definitions of health and healthy eating and healthy living. And so that really fascinated me. And so really, it it just, it was a growing curiosity, a growing interest, a growing passion and something that stemmed from a deep drive to really help myself understand, but also help others understand what it truly takes to live optimally, to have optimal health, and to push our human potential. Because what else I've discovered over the years is that we're settling for norms, for averages that don't even come close to what we're capable of. But because, you know, as it often goes, many people doing something makes it seem like the normal thing, right? But as I've discovered over the years, the body we have is absolutely spectacular. The potential we have in terms of that body, in terms of our mind, is something that we have yet, yet to start to, you know, really tap into in terms of all of its potential and capabilities. You use the term holistic, and I, I think I've heard that term a lot and it's been thrown around a lot. Holistic nutrition, holistic 
you know, anything. But what does that term truly mean for the listeners out there? Uh, another great question. I love defining and at least, you know, setting that idea of a common foundation, because exactly as you've just pointed out, we don't all understand health or holistic or many of these terms today that become or have become more popular in the same fashion. And so holistic in the you know grandest sense of the word means a big picture, a bigger picture perspective, an interconnected, you know, way of seeing and understanding ourselves, our food, our world. So rather than taking, you know, a very detail oriented approach, rather than taking a very narrow approach, a very specific approach, holistic encompasses the interconnectivity of all things. And it also factors in, you know, the synergistic effects, how one thing affects another and that nothing works in isolation and definitely not our bodies, definitely not our food and and not our life. And so, you know, even though my background in, in the science of health and nutrition was a very narrow, was a very, you know, materialistic reductionist, the sort of what's kind of understood as the mainstream science perspective, I was so fortunate and happy that along my path, I became more and more open and, and, you know, inquisitive. And at the same time, the right resources came along to help me understand that, wow, this is only, we're only looking at fragments. And unless we connect those fragments, understand how they influence each other, how they work together, then we're really missing the big picture. And so that would be the best way to, you know, sort of help the listeners understand what we're talking about. And and you somewhat lived that because as I was just going through your background for the interview, like I do for everybody, you do a lot of things. You're very multidimensional. You're not just into nutrition. You're into doing yoga. You do videos, all kinds of, of other stuff. So it's just if you are living that whole holistic type of lifestyle by incorporating different things that you love and kind of bringing them together into what I would call consciousness, like being able to take people and make them a little bit more consciousness and a little bit more aware as to what is going on. Absolutely. This is, you know, the very foundation of what I strive to do first and foremost is live what I teach. Because to me, it's not about trying to, you know, convince someone of something. It's not about trying to come across as something or someone, but rather, wait a minute, you know, th- this is first and foremost my journey of finding out what is it that my mind, my body is capable of. How can I optimize my life in in ways that you know uh, tap into the greatest potential when it comes to joy and well-being and inner peace? And so, as I live it naturally, you know, aside from just the basic interests and passions, this drives me even more so to say, wait a minute, you know, hey, if you also or you or you or you are interested in also, you know, tapping into perhaps a different way of being and living where we are really just going beyond so many of the confines and limitations that have been put upon us by various structures in our society, by sometimes our very own thinking, then here's one way, not to say it's the only absolute best way, there's just, here's what I've been learning, finding out, and I'm passionate to also share with others, because I know the results. I know what, again, it's how the dots connect in terms of what we can therefore create and achieve when it comes to the life potential, when it comes to our every aspect actually of our being, which again ties back right into that holistic. And sometimes, you know, I'll mention here, people think of holistic also as the three words that have also become popular today, 
mind, body, and spirit, or mind, body, and soul. And very much that can also be seen as that holistic dimension, whether it's how I live, whether it's how I teach, that we're more than just physical beings. We're more than just a mind that can rationalize and be logical and things like that. And uh, there's more to us also than just, uh, say, sometimes, you know, people get on um, spiritual journeys of sorts, where they just emphasize the spirit or soul but rather to also respect that, wait a minute, we also have a body to take care of while we're here and and such. So that's also how it all ties together in terms of your previous question on the holistic front, but also exactly as you pointed out, how I live is what I teach and what I teach is how I live. And I think that, like you said, it encompasses all things, mind, body, soul. You use some interesting terminology and this is something that I haven't come across and I really want to ask you about this because you, I went on your site and I was just looking at different things and like I said, it's normally what I do. I do a lot of investigative work before I interview someone, but you use the term and within eating, you said healthy, healthy tarian. What is that and why did you come up with that particular terminology for yourself? Oh, thank you for asking about that. Healthitarian is actually something that came out about 10 years ago out of an idea within me that the labels were using. And this is when especially I was getting uh, deeper and deeper into understanding what is optimal human nutrition. And as I found, as I talked to different people, as I taught different groups, many people had so many different definitions of what healthy eating is, of what healthy food is, right? If we talk to 10 people, we can get 10 different views, perspectives, definitions. And so at this time too, my own journey took me right down into plant-based eating. And it started off with vegetarianism, then went into veganism. But what I discovered there was that, again, veganism, vegetarianism doesn't necessarily mean healthy eating by any means. And so something that I came up with to sort of represent what I was seeking in my life and again where and how I wanted to teach and what kind of message I wanted to convey is that yes some aspect of health and so without being let's say like bluntly the idea kind of came off of vegetarian without being a vegetarian and the different limitations and perhaps prejudices that come along with that healthitarian was born or that's kind of you know the term that came to me that I created that it's about health but again as much health focus that it doesn't just focus on the food and that was the probably the biggest determining factor that it's not just about the food the food is important absolutely it's number two in terms of the most important thing that you know um, dictates the state of our health and well-being but there's more to it than that and that's again what my rationale was for the term healthitarian getting into health and you uh, you mentioned this i think you've mentioned some of the people were confused about healthy eating but mm-hmm. i find that people are also very confused about what is actually healthy Yes. What what is what is healthy? What is healthy eating? And why do we have all these different perceptions? Because when you look at someone who's healthy, like many people think bodybuilders are healthy. And when they're in competition, what I learned through my years of study is that they're probably out there unhealthiest when they're on stage. They've had a, a diet deprivation for such a long period of time, but yet from someone on the outside looking in, they look at that as health. Why is there so many different perceptions on what we think is healthy? Oh, this is such a fantastic question. And we could talk about this just yeah, for yeah. hours. <laughs> oh, well, the first uh, place I would start is 
part of what and how I explain my work today, as you noticed, is dealing with consciousness. And so because of the different avenues that I take and, and the different areas that I teach people in, I found it challenging just for myself, like what what do I, how, how do I help people understand what is it that I do? So that's where the term consciousness expansion teacher came to play. And I start with this and I emphasize this because one of the biggest reasons why we have so much confusion and so many different perspectives about what healthy eating, what healthy living and what a healthy person is all about is because we are all experiencing different states and perspectives and but especially states of consciousness and so if our view of a certain topic is very conditioned is very narrow then we will see and define something in that respect if our view of health healthy eating healthy food is governed let's say by a certain agency by a certain product by a certain company by a certain organization then again we are going to be seeing a very different perspective than someone else who isn't conditioned or doesn't have a particular bias etc and so that's one of the first places to start is that unless we are ready to, and this is not easy, I know, because I've been there, <laughs> in terms of, you know, looking at ourselves and saying, okay, wait a minute, where might I be closed off from examining different points of view, wider perspectives, that's the key, wider perspectives, looking at trying to grasp that bigger picture, rather than, well, this is what I've always been told, or this is what I grew up with, or this is what my fitness community believes, or this is so all of these, if we're willing to go past those then we can start to say, ah, okay, now I understand perhaps at least why different people have different perspectives, right? And understand more of where my own came from. That's reason one. Reason two is just that fact that today, as you know, and I'm sure all of the audience listeners know, we live in extremely busy, noisy, hectic times. And everybody is trying to compete for our attention, right? They're trying to kind of sell us something or market something or, you know, just basically get our attention to, hey, hey, look at me, look at me, look what I'm saying. I'm saying, you know, something that, you know, you should be listening to, etc. And so because we have this wide range of information and opinions and perspectives, some of them very well thought out, some of them not so much, we are also bound to come across so many different definitions. And that's again, where it comes back to us. Who do I, who can I trust? Who should I listen to? What, you know, what is this person trying to tell me? And what's their motive? Always ask that. I, that's one of the first things I encourage us. Try to see beyond the surface. Is this person, you know, kind of talking out of because they've just lost, you know, maybe 30 or 300 pounds, whatever it may be, and they feel they have something really valuable to share with you? Or did this person just invent a new supplement line as it now is trying to convince you that they've got the products you need, right? So, we also have to factor in all of the different kind of, again, distractions, not necessarily, but just opinions, perspectives that, yeah, we're not all going to see things the same way. And finally, last but not least, it goes back to what I mentioned earlier, that idea of many people today, especially that science, the word science alone is very misunderstood. And but nonetheless, it plays a huge role in our society. And we have to, again, one of those things, no point of denying it, fighting it, it is what it is. But because 
science in all of its wonderful glory and all with all of its flaws has become such a big player in our society, such a big influencer, a lot of people are going to find the science that supports their beliefs mm-hmm. and think that they're onto something or onto the right track, et cetera, et cetera. So it also comes down to something you mentioned you do, which absolutely is one of the best things I believe to do, is do some good investigative work, right? But we don't have the time, right? The average person doesn't have that time. And that's why they kind of catch on to maybe what's the quick fix, what's most lucrative, what's most convenient, what's most comfortable, what already kind of tells them what they want to hear. And they go with that thinking, oh, look, I'm eating healthy or I'm being healthy. But it may very well not be the case at all. Yeah, everybody takes things at at face value. And it's so it's crazy because we have so much access right now to the Internet to be able to look at things. And I remember my experience in pharmaceuticals was and, and this blew my mind because when you're on the outside and you're looking in and when you finally get in the inside, you don't realize I, I realized that my particular company was paying scientists to do research in order to look at their product on a favorable status. So and the other pharmaceutical companies that I was competing at competing against were doing the same things for their products. So it's like, who do you believe? You don't know who <laughs> who to actually believe because everybody's trying to do something for their benefit and skew science to their benefit. So it, it leaves a lot of people confused. Exactly. So I guess another question would be is are we victims of good marketing? Because I see a lot of good marketing on television. You see a lot of good marketing, even on Facebook, where people are trying to sell you all of these different programs. And I think what happens is people kind of fall victim to this whole thing and they're influenced. They're not actually thinking outside of the box, so to speak. They're actually influenced by what we're seeing out here with the ads. Yes. And, you know, this is kind of I always feel it's kind of a sad topic because I don't like to point out or, you know, part of my work is actually to help people get into states of empowerment and really conscious, you know, becoming conscious, uh, critical thinkers. Right. But at the same time, the truth is, as it is, it's our society is, again, poised to focus on profits, poised to focus on sales. And there's a lot of manipulation, unfortunately, a lot of deception happening. And so in a sense, yes, we can say definitely we can become victims. But this is where the good news is, is that we're not completely powerless unless we believe we are. So this is where, yes, there's a lot of we just have to, you know, again, it is what it is. This is how we have chosen to, in some sense, run society as it stands. But the point is, we all can make different choices. But we have to become aware of what the problem is, what could be a potential solution? What are the things I want, right? Because even if we go back to healthy eating, if somebody would come to me and say, well, okay, can you teach me how to eat healthy? My very first question to them would be, what is it exactly that you want? Because if you just want to survive, Oh, then I can we can make this very, very simple, eat pretty much whatever is edible to you and you'll survive just fine. Right. Mm-hmm. What is it that is your goal? Right. So this is where, again, we each have to ask ourselves, what is it that I want out of life? What are my priorities? What are my health priorities? What are my you know relationship priorities? Whatever the case may be. But going back to the aspect of marketing, there's no getting around it today unless we take back our own power. And that means from that sense of empowerment, unless we do active work to take back our own mind, we are, as I've quoted 
or previously said in, in a in a different post, basically, we are puppets. And and this is again not something that I like sharing, but that's the outcome of of today when we have these large corporations, lots of collusion behind the scenes, and sometimes bluntly right in front, mm-hmm. you know, taking place in in terms of the different industries, the different companies, different organizations, and so. It is what it is, but we don't have to be victims. You talk about something and we I want to move on to the physical body, because I think a lot of times people don't understand the physical body and actually what happens. You talk about inflammation, which yes. I learn about learning. That's kind of the root cause of all disease. But then you go on and you talk about something that most people don't even talk about, and that's oxidative stress. So take those two and kind of make them inflammation first. Make that simple for people to understand and then get a little bit more into the oxidative stress and how that all comes together. And somewhere in there, (laughs) that's a big question, but somewhere in there kind of put anti-acid. I'm not anti-acid or what word? I forgot what I'm saying. The acid alkaline? No, not acid alkaline. The, uh, can't remember. I can't remember what I'm, I can't remember. Oh, antioxidants. Antioxidants. I don't know why I couldn't think of that word. (laughs) Yeah. Antioxidants. Sounds good. So the first place to start, as you mentioned, inflammation, inflammation is quite easy for people to understand when it's taking place pretty much on somewhere on the surface of our body. Like let's say you're playing tennis and you sprain your wrist, then you know what the signs, typical signs and symptoms of inflammation are. Red, hot, swollen, painful, etc. But it's more difficult for us to understand what is inflammation inside of our body because most of the time, in fact, pretty much all the time under general cases of inflammation, we're not going to get red, hot, swollen, painful. If it's at that stage, it's usually something is extremely serious. But even, you know, when we're talking about inflammation as it relates to heart disease, inflammation as it relates to cancer, again, these are not the types of states that would manifest the same way as a sprained wrist would. And so what we're dealing with basically is absolutely this word has become just more and more popular, but with absolute great validity in especially the last few years, I would say almost now going at least on a decade, is that there are basically, as we now understand, a lot of foods and a lot of substances beyond just food that in simplest terms cause and or create irritation. And so that would be the easiest way to understand. Inflammation is basically tissue irritation that is taking place either at the cellular level, so at the tiniest, you know, basically where we're, what we're made of ourselves. It can take place in groups of cells, which we would consider our tissues, or of course, at the organ level. So we can have, again, cellular inflammation, we can have tissue inflammation, we can have organ inflammation, and usually it's all of the above. And so this type of inflammation can be, again, experienced internally in many different ways that usually are invisible to us until serious symptoms develop. A symptom of inflammation could, for example, be high blood pressure. A symptom of inflammation could be even something like actually anxiety attacks. And so there's many different levels and different symptoms of how inflammation can manifest itself. But bottom line, it's leading cause is irritating substances, irritating substances. And sometimes I'll also mention this, it's not necessarily substances or foods that we take in, but it could be something we're doing that elicits even a certain reaction inside of our body that becomes inflammatory in nature, irritating in nature. And unfortunately, you know, this is one of those things where it's hard for us to kind of comprehend, but sometimes to heal 
the body or to protect itself or to prevent further damage. The body actually has to do something that we wouldn't like for it to actually prevent something more serious. And so even the body can create states of inflammation, etc. So that's will lead in with that one aspect. Then, of course, you mentioned, oh, yes, you've got a question. Yeah, really quickly. For something like blood pressure, let's say someone has hypertension. What I'm hearing from you is that maybe these things, this inflammation might be a warning sign because a lot of times hypertension can lead to something else more fatal, maybe even a heart attack coming out of that. But what I'm gathering from you and listening to you is that sometimes inflammation can be that warning sign before something bigger happens. Although blood pressure is not something to take lightly, but not taking care of that when it, when inflammation shows up as that could mean something else could come as a result of that. That's more fatal. Exactly, exactly. And that's the thing. Our body gives us clues and signs, starting from, you know, sort of most minimal or least serious. And if we don't pay attention, if we don't listen, if we bypass, because again, I always think of and and my heart always goes out. I know it's a busy, noisy world, but our health really, if we want a certain quality of life, if we don't want to have to depend on drugs and surgeries and doctor's appointments and just a poor quality of life, I mean, nobody likes to, you know, live in pain or live with symptoms that are unpleasant, then we have to pay attention as soon as our body starts giving us signs and symptoms that are not optimal, that are not favorable, that are not pleasant. And so absolutely the first levels of inflammation, actually today, quality research is saying that children as young as, you know, four or five years old are showing the first signs of inflammation. And that is really, really sad, but also serious for us to take note of as a society. Um, For any parents who are listening, this is the stuff that can, you know, make it or break it in terms of a child's life and success, never mind, you know, achievement, physical and and, and cognitive, but just how to set them up for life in, in the most healthiest and the best way possible. So the inflammation first can go unnoticed for many, many, many years. And then it starts giving and leading basically to various symptoms. And then, of course, absolutely, it can get it just gets more serious after that, the more we neglect or don't pay attention to it. And then oxidative stress is linked to inflammation because oxidative stress can lead to inflammation and more or less the inflammation also um, has different connections to what causes inflammation can also cause oxidative stress in our body, etc. And so oxidative stress basically is anything that also causes some level of irritation. But here I would use a different word. It's almost like some kind of a destructive force that causes damage to the to ourselves on some levels, prevent them prevents them from working properly, and or can go as far as even causing mutations in ourselves and mutations in ourselves. Usually a lot of people will understand like mutations even at the DNA level. And this is where often oxidative stress will down the road or can get linked to something like cancer. And when it comes to oxidative stress, again, it could be from our food, it could be from our lifestyles, it can be from the pollution in the air, in the water, etc. But basically, it, it takes place some, an, another key set of words that many of your listeners may be already familiar with are free radicals. Basically, compounds, again, in our food, in our water, in our air, in various aspects of what we would consider pollution and toxic materials that are creating imbalance within our own hormones and neurotransmitters and cells and and how our body functions, etc. And so 
the way to combat that is obviously first and foremost, whether it's inflammation or oxidative stress, is remove as much of the stressors, the irritators, the destroyers, the destructive forces and sources as much as possible. And then at the same time, also increase and include as many of the things that are going to combat that damage, that are going to both prevent it and also heal it or reverse it. Also mentioned antioxidants, and that's partly where they come in. Antioxidants, as we hear today, which most of us can now correlate that antioxidants are richly, abundantly found in fruits and vegetables, especially fresh, you know, raw fruits and vegetables as much as possible, rather than highly processed ones. And antioxidants, as we have learned thus far, pretty much across the board, are some of the most powerful, you know, healers, protectors, preventers, reversers of both inflammation and oxidative damage so that we can, again, decrease our chances of cancer, decrease our chances of, you know, problems within our arteries that can lead to various aspects of heart disease, decrease our chances of diabetes, et cetera, et cetera. And it goes really, and I say et cetera, because it goes really for any acute or chronic condition that, you know, sometimes, and this is where that reductionist, you know, narrow perspective, people sometimes say, well, which food exactly? Is it an orange or is it a broccoli? And it's not like that. That's where, again, that holistic perspective comes in. All fruits and vegetables, all. I'm going to say antioxidants again, because I couldn't think of that word. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why. I think my brain is still at work at some point. But you mentioned imbalances. And in your book, you talk about home homeostasis, which is the body wants to be in homeostasis of balance. What degree will the body go to to achieve homeostasis? Well, pretty much any degree it needs to. And that's kind of both the uh, sort of blessing and curse in many respects, because for example, you know, if the body will use a really simple example, if the body just encountered a large dose of toxins, toxic, something toxic, then the first response to bring back homeostasis quickly will be vomiting or diarrhea, let's say. And to us, this may be like, oh my goodness, what's wrong with me? I'm vomiting or, you know, I'm suffering where I have diarrhea. But these are not the problem. This is actually the body trying to bring itself back to homeostasis, back to balance. The problem was the toxin, right? So we are often in our society primed or conditioned to fight the vomiting or fight the diarrhea, when in fact, That's actually the corrective response. What we should be looking for is the root cause, trying to get rid of it or, you know, avoid it or prevent ourselves from coming in contact with it, you know, next time around, etc. And so this is where homeostasis balance is pretty much the lifeline of the body. It will do pretty much whatever it takes to make sure that it stays in this state of balance where everything works as optimally as possible. But of course, the body can only do what it can do if we keep assaulting it, stressing it, uh, destroying different vital aspects of it without any support, without sort of saying, hey, here's a little break, catch up, right? And so this is why, you know, the body will continue to, to be so resilient. This is why we can get away with such poor eating, such poor health, you know, health habits or unhealthy habits for so long before we start seeing so many of the bigger or big problems in our lives. And that's why so many people have a faulty idea of what it means to be healthy. Just because you don't have a headache, just because you don't have high blood pressure, just because you don't have an official diagnosis of, let's say, the three main 
uh, chronic diseases today, diabetes type 2, heart disease or cancer, doesn't mean that you're healthy. And I know that doesn't sound like positive news, but it's really to iterate that we shouldn't be waiting for those symptoms, for those conditions, for those diseases to manifest. It's what's happening now under the surface from these different irritating and inflammatory substances. Is that point coming about sooner? Because you just mentioned something that kind of sparked question in me, and that was that the body can only go for so long. But you're seeing, it used to be that you could get to a certain age, I would say 75, 80 years old, and you still see that. But now you're seeing a lot of chronic conditions in a much younger population. So is that coming to too much? Is it coming sooner now than more later as you get into the elderly population? Absolutely. And in fact, um, just recently I read that now the field of medicine science, just again in general here, is certain that the young generations today, especially like who we would consider the kids, they're really, really basically worried that they're not going to have a lifespan as long as their parents. Not only that, it's going to be of a much lower quality where absolutely the conditions, chronic conditions, diseases we would call, we would have to maybe wait or thankfully we wouldn't get to, you know, maybe our 60s, 70s, 80s now are showing up much faster. As I showed before, you know, when we are hearing now of inflammation and diabetes, even like symptoms, if not full-on almost like type 2 diabetes in children we we know that there's a much bigger problem and the, and the reason for it is again when we look across the board our body is amazing but it can only do so much it's not going to continue i mean even if we take a machine which our body is not sometimes it gets compared to that but it's not we're much more the body's much more intelligent dynamic and synergistic but even if we take our computer even if we take our car well even with the best tune-ups, which most people don't give their bodies any kind of tune-ups, going to a medical doctor when something's wrong, that's not a tune-up. That's going to your mechanic when something already broke, right? But even if you take your computer and or car with the best tune-ups and you work it at full capacity, it's not going to have as long of a lifespan as the, the computer or the car that gets used in a more conservative way, etc. And that's not to, you know, equate it so that nobody misunderstands that you can't live fully, but it's all the, you know, living, what, what living fully means to a lot of people today is I can eat whatever I want, I can drink whatever I want, I can do whatever I want, and, you know, it's kind of like, ah, oh, who cares? It's, well, you know, you never know the luck of the draw, how disease goes. And the truth today is that we do know there's absolutely so much we know in terms of what causes certain uh, conditions, uh, you know, when it's almost like how we can reverse them, how we can heal them, how we can prevent them. It's by no means the mentality that we used to have where, well, it's kind of bad genes. Absolutely not. So we can do a lot to both protect ourselves, to prevent, to not have to live in fear. But it does take, again, a conscious approach to what our priorities are and what we are willing to do. Are we willing to redefine what health, what healthy food, what healthy eating means to us? Are we willing to take our health into our own hands? Are we willing to invest in the present so that we can, you know, optimize our future results? Because again, a lot of us kind of live like, ah, it's okay now, it's okay now, and then deal with the problems. And usually, obviously, dealing with health problems is, again, not a fun thing. And also when we talk about a country like the United States, but many countries in our world today, I mean, I don't think, actually, I'm going to say most countries do not have by any means optimal health care. It's an extremely stressful time for so many other reasons like financial costs. And so it's, it's, this is where it comes down to each one of us. I say, if you are ready, if you are open, then I highly encourage people to take their health 
and into their own hands to take responsibility for their health because it's absolutely so tremendously, I'm going to use the term, which I know some people are not ready for, but so extremely self-created. And I know sometimes it's not that conscious self-creation, but it's just the more that we take the right steps, the right precautions of everything we've learned, especially in the last few decades, in the last hundred years, we can have amazing quality of life, amazing health, and we don't have to succumb to so much of the suffering. And that's really where my passion comes to helping people is I know we don't have to go through so much of the suffering that people go through through today. Are we, you mentioned this, and uh, this is what I've always thought, and maybe you can give your, your viewpoint on it. I think for, for most of us, we're in survival mode. And I see a lot of people that are basically living from, hey, I get paid, I go out and I buy whatever's, whatever is affordable. Yeah. And that's, I repeat that cycle. I get paid, I go out and buy whatever's affordable. Do you think because we're living in a survival mode, most people are living in that survival mode, that yes. that makes it hard for them to make better choices, hard for them to be even more, to open themselves up to see something that's a, a bit different? Absolutely. You nailed it right on in that one of the saddest parts is that let's say you have somebody who's listening and says, yeah, I'm ready, I'm willing, but I don't even have a grocery store within a reasonable vicinity. And whatever little convenience store I have doesn't even have fresh fruits or vegetables. So what am I to do, right? When we know people can argue about all sorts of different diets and pick against this nutrient, that nutrient, that percentage, that percentage, but there's hands down, we can all agree on one thing. Fruits and vegetables are the best things possible that we can eat. And we need as much of them as we can or more of them in a general sense. But when people live in neighborhoods where there isn't even access to fresh fruits and vegetables, then what, right? And and that's that's a that's a huge systemic problem and of course it's different depending on the city, depending on the state, the province, the country. And again, this this is where it requires such a sensitive approach to because each person's situation will be so different. And so what can we do to get you from this step where you are right now to the next best step, right? Because the worst thing I, I think is sometimes when people can go online or listen to interviews like this or, um, you know, watch all the different health documentaries, let's say today, and feel like, well, this is all great, but I can't do any of this, right? And then feel very hopeless and helpless and actually get themselves into worse states of health and well-being because, again, there's nothing worse than actually feeling helpless and hopeless. And so it's not about aiming for any state of perfection. I really want to emphasize that. It's not about looking for some formula that, no, if I just do this, 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 I'll be perfect. No, this is a never-ending journey. It's just I encourage every single person listening to this today to just look at where am I at right now with, let's just start with breakfast start with something tangible start with one step real let's just look at my breakfast am i eating it if i'm not eating it why if i am eating it what is it what's the next best step i can make and that's it that's how we can start creating positive and very powerful change in our lives to improve our well-being one step at a time so we don't get overwhelmed so we don't get stressed and at each step of the way we can start looking at a solution again on a step-by-step -step basis because if i tell people right now you know you should all be eating fruits and vegetables that are organic and fresh and local that's just unrealistic right because we don't all have access to such food and so again we have to do what we can and in the earlier part of today's interview, I shared with the audience that food is number two. Number one is our state 
of mind. And so this is what is so important and where it taps again back into that whole picture perspective, that holistic aspect, where so many people can look at somebody they know and say, oh, look, I thought they were so healthy and they still got a heart attack or they still got cancer. What's the point of even trying, right? But we don't know, first of all, how these people really eat because we're all just kind of taking bits and pieces out of other people's lives. And second of all, the state of that person's mental and emotional landscape. And that's why my biggest thing, before I even tell people, you know, how to eat healthy, what to eat, what to focus on, the first thing is what you're going to be thinking about, how you're going to approach, how, you know, you live, how you feel about yourself. That's going to be more important in becoming a dictator of your health or lack thereof than anything you will ever eat or not eat. To get the, the mind state right first, a lot of people try to check things, what I call from the physical standpoint, without yes. even looking things from the mind. Getting into, I think you mentioned this before and we didn't we didn't delve into it, but I wanna delve into it a little bit more now and that's acid alkaline balance. And I've heard so many contradicting things about this and so many opposing views. What's your understanding of, of that particular concept? So first place to start, there's either most people who have never heard of what acid alkaline eating, acid alkaline diet, what's that all about? And then there's another group of people, I would say a much smaller subset, who have heard of various diets called alkaline diet or acid alkaline diet. And like many things today, of course, when we find something that has some value or, or worthiness, then of course it can become a fad. And so where I take things from, and this is where you also asked earlier, General, like who do we trust? And what I've learned on my own journey is no matter what other experts I consult with or you know look towards or read whatever research, science, etc., Something that's become very clear to me is we need something more timeless rather than a passing trend, a passing fad. Today, this is good. Tomorrow, this is bad. Today, this person's a trusted authority. Tomorrow, you know, they're not for whatever reason. And so one of my greatest teachers and something that I look towards to now is A, the wisdom of nature, timeless wisdom of nature, and two, the timeless wisdom of the human body when we take out the biases, the conditioning, the marketing. And so when it comes to the aspect of the acid alkaline, our blood is slightly alkaline, and this is one of the homeostasis, homeostatic market markers, where your body will do everything in its power. And this is why acid alkaline is often misunderstood, even by medical doctors who say, well, it doesn't matter what you eat or what you do, because your body's going to keep your blood in that slightly alkaline state no matter what. But, and here's that connect the dots holistic perspective, at what cost? At what cost? Because again, our body will continue to function and try to, you know, do what it has to do, but at what cost? What is being degraded, destroyed in the process? What is being, you know, again, what deficiencies are being created and so on. And so with this in mind that our blood always has to stay slightly alkaline, and there's really only two examples that we can think of that our body won't be able to actually keep that homeostatic state of our blood being slightly alkaline. And those are in states of extreme toxicity. And we all know a very easy example of this, somebody who overdoses on drugs or a drug like alcohol. And in that case, part of the reason why people can go into a home a coma or, you know, a, a serious life or death situation is because at that point, the blood became so overwhelmed basically the body's defenses detox systems just became overwhelmed with the toxin that they can't keep up to even uh, maintain that balance 
no matter what the cost. At this point, it's just like start shutting down. And so in this sense, the acid alkaline balance of our body is there. It's non-arguable. It's, it's something that is there as it is. That's just part of our biology. And when it comes to our food, certain foods, it's not how they come in, but it's after they are digested, will be extremely alkalizing for our body or alkalizing in general, while other foods, after they are digested, will be extremely acidifying. And so again, some people have gotten into various extremes with this and made all sorts of complicated charts and numbers. We don't need that. It's very simple. Whole plant foods, but specifically fruits and vegetables, fresh, that's specifically fresh fruits and vegetables, as a general rule of thumb, are all alkalizing. Processed foods, highly refined foods, animal foods, that means all animal foods, anything from dairy to eggs to fish and meat, are all acidifying. And what we know is that the more acidifying our diet is, the more acidifying our lifestyle is, and by the way, excessive or extreme exercise, you mentioned like bodybuilders, excessive or extreme exercise as well as extreme stress is also acidifying for us, for our body, for our state of well-being. All of these things also have a connection to what we talked about earlier, causing and creating inflammation, causing oxidative stress, causing a, a chronic state of acidity in the body, even though the blood may be tested and it's still going to show slightly alkaline, but again, at what cost? Where are now the deficiencies starting to form? And one example where the deficiencies are starting to form is in our mineral uh, concentrations in the body. And so when today people are told, oh, you have low magnesium or low calcium, this is not a problem of you are not drinking enough you know, milk or eating enough dairy or, or you should be taking a magnesium supplement. This is a problem usually and, and so often of the high acidity in our diets and lifestyles. And so we, again, don't have to go to any extremes. We don't have to start drinking alkaline water and, you know, going to some, again, uh, regimens. It's just, again, it comes down to, to something so obvious that nature, our body, are accustomed to and trying to tell us over and over in many ways. Focus your diet on fruits and vegetables, fresh, specific. Your book, and I, <clears throat> I try to pick out. I try to pick out things that people aren't often hearing. And your book touched on something that I really rarely get a chance to talk about. And I think it should be talked about a little bit more. And that's the potassium sodium ratio, because we just talked about blood pressure. And I don't think a lot of people know about that. And but talk about that a little a little bit more about the potassium sodium ratio and why that is, is really important. Oh, most definitely. Well, for starters, I mean, most people are aware that today we are eating basically too much sodium or diets too high in sodium. And they can be just extreme in terms of the potassium. Uh, and we'll talk about that in just a second more so. But given this, and this is where there's always a twofold approach. If we have a problem in an area, it's usually because we are putting too much of one thing and not enough of another thing. This goes for sodium potassium, this goes for calcium magnesium, which is another duo that work together synergistically. This also goes for omega-3 and omega-6, another duo that works synergistically. But where again, our society's approach usually is, is well, if you've got too much sodium, it's almost like start taking a drug that will lower somehow, let's pretend, you know, because it's not just about uh, beta blockers and, and blood pressure medication, but it just something that will almost like lower the sodium amount or it's it's what I'm trying to get at is we take very sidelined approaches rather than looking at the problem straight on and working at it at, working with it at the root level and so in this case diets too high in sodium come from 
processed foods, processed foods, that means anything pretty much that comes in a package. And we can quickly check the sodium amounts on our food packages as a little tip for your audience is the ratio. And this is not not to do with potassium, but on a food label, when you're looking at a food label, if the sodium amount is higher, the number is higher than the number of calories, then a general trend, general tip here is that caution should be exercised because that is likely to be a high sodium food. If we are basically told to eat in general terms from mainstream organizations, medical research, etc., that about 1500 milligrams of sodium to about 2000 milligrams of sodium is the right amount. And again, if the average diet of an adult should be around 2000 calories, this is where that one to one ratio can be. So to elaborate on this from another angle is if I have a meal that is going to provide me with 100 calories, and I check the sodium and it says 300 milligrams of sodium, that tells me it's a high sodium food because the sodium is three times higher than the amount of calories. If I eat 2000 calories in a day of this food, that means I'm getting 6000 milligrams of sodium, we see the problem. So that's one of the things to work on lowering the amount of sodium naturally via our food, that means less processed food, less fast food, less anything packaged convenience, etc. Second is to increase your potassium because sodium and potassium work together. Again, they are two of those minerals that are basically depend on each other for optimal body function. And sodium potassium is a very important reaction in our body that's responsible for our nerve responses and so many other reactions. And so with regards to we should be getting more in terms of an emphasis more on the potassium in our diets, but often we don't. The best advice out there I hear for people is, oh, eat banana to get more sodium. Absolutely not. Bananas by not even by any means the highest so, uh, potassium food when it comes to fruits and vegetables. Potatoes, double the amount of potassium than bananas. Avocados, extremely high in potassium. But when we look across the board, all fruits and vegetables, again, are excellent sources of potassium and very low sources of sodium. In fact, again, the more fruits and vegetables we eat, the less naturally, the lower, it's, it's like eating basically a naturally low sodium diet and a naturally high potassium diet. And so we want to be looking for a better ratio in terms of these because they have to basically balance each other out. Today's ratios sometimes are as much as sodium being extremely high two, three, ten, even more times to the amount of potassium people eat. And this throws off a lot of the vital reactions, including, again, when it comes to how our nervous system works, when it comes to our blood pressure, and so on. You mentioned on the podcast several times, plant-based, plant-based, plant-based diet. You're an advocate for a plant-based diet. I find that people <clears throat> tend, to tend to follow a lot of things without knowing why they're following these particular diets. But you talk about plants being important to our diets just simply because there are two main things that are in there and those are phytonutrients and chlorophyll. Talk about those two aspects of plants and why they are so important to especially human beings. Yes, most definitely. So phytonutrients, sometimes also referred to as phytochemicals, but phytonutrients tends to be a nicer name because we don't have good associations with the word chemical. Um, phyto meaning plant. And these are basically nutrients that are only found in plants. So this again, just for uh, to emphasize the point, that means any meat, any dairy, any eggs or other animal products 
don't have phytonutrients because they are plant nutrients. So what we know about plant nutrients is that they're not exactly vitamins, they're not exactly minerals. Some have antioxidant activity or act like antioxidants, but they're not even exactly that. They are a whole new group of nutrients, I'll call them for simplicity's sake, that are found in plants that we have basically just started to understand how they function, what they are, and haven't even begun to scratch the tip of their potential. And when sometimes on the news, if somebody is watching, you know, let's say mainstream media news, six o'clock news, etc. Sometimes you may hear things like, oh, resveratrol in red grapes has been shown to be good for longevity or anti-aging or carotenoids in carrots have been shown to be this or that. When we're hearing these words like resveratrol, carotenoids, oh gosh, there's so many others. They're not, they're not sexy words. So if people try to put (laughs) off by those. Exactly, exactly. Indioles and and so on and so forth. And so absolutely, they're not easy to pronounce. They're not easy to spell. And they're not very memorable. And as you put it so well, you know, they're not sexy words, right? And so these, though, are the phytonutrients. And while we can easily dismiss them and say, yeah, that's nice, but, you know, really, what does it matter? What it matters is that we have now learned from the little that we now know about them, that they are the most powerful compounds for both prevent and reverse for both protection and healing of what conditions, diseases, symptoms, you name it. And so this is where, again, I encourage people as much as possible, if you're living in this mindset of, well, I have to eat this for that, like vitamin C, or I have to eat an orange for vitamin C, get out of that mindset. Because as we now know, all fruits and vegetables, and that's, again, what I'm emphasizing because they tend to be not, you know, um, debatable or not where somebody can say, yeah, but, you know, I've been following this diet and it says that I should be not eating this or that. Okay, we can talk about that another time. But when it comes to fruits and vegetables, we're sure that they are the most nutrient-dense foods that not only have the best vitamins, mineral, and nutrient density, not only the best antioxidant density, but they also have phytonutrients, something no other food has. And these are some of the most anti-cancerous compounds, some of the most anti-inflammatory compounds, some of the best antioxidative compounds or antioxidants. And so this is the stuff we want as much of as possible because this is what's going to help us decrease all the risks of diseases that are out there as well as increase our health, our longevity, you know, when it comes to pretty much every aspect. And I know, you know, we're running out of time, so I won't get into more details on that. But basically, you name it, it can help you with it. You've got a skin condition, guess what, more fruits and vegetables, you've got, you know, high blood pressure, more fruits and vegetables, because whether it's again, the potassium, the sodium, whether it's antioxidants, whether it's phytonutrients, that's your again, the the best Um, I also say investment of your literally financial resources, the best return, the the fastest and most effective way to heal without going to more invasive. At least it's pleasant to eat, right? Especially if you find the ones you like. And this is why you don't have to pigeonhole yourself and eat broccoli if you don't like broccoli. There's so many other cruciferous vegetables. And so there's something out there for everyone. Just find a way that you enjoy it. Find what you can get. Find a way to prepare it in the least, you know, minimally destructive way possible and eat as much of it as possible. Now, one more thing you mentioned is the chlorophyll. This is specific to plants, but specific to green plants. And chlorophyll is one of, again, one of those molecules that is has been studied to some degree really well, but to another degree, we haven't even begun to tap into its incredible potential. And chlorophyll, to easily understand, is why plants are green. 
right? That's actually why we're not green, but they're green. And not to uh, think that Kermit the Frog also has chlorophyll. No, that's a different kind of green, right? But basically, this chlorophyll molecule that captures the energy of the sun, not only is it actually energizing for us. So when today I see people and so many people in our society are depleted energetically, as you shared, in a mode of survival, in in this mode of work, struggle, try to survive, uh, not enough sleep, and then of course, all sorts of stimulants go into the body. But one of the best ways to energize is via green foods. And specifically here, obviously green vegetables, leafy green vegetables, green vegetables, whatever you can get. And then in ways that you can enjoy, such as green smoothies, such as green juices, such as even um, extracts of chlorophyll, if if somebody wants to and needs to go that way, but usually extracts, isolates, I'm not a fan of, I always say, go for the whole food as much as possible, because then your body knows best what to do with it and how to use utilize it without any overdosing or anything like that. And so chlorophyll is a very powerful detoxifier, one of the best detoxifiers. Do we need that today? Oh yes, given the amount of pollution we have. It's one of the best cleansing agents. It's also good for our immune system. It's excellent for our gut health to improve how we digest, what we digest, etc. And so from every single angle, again, this is just, you know, the way I look at it is more of the goodness that the plant kingdom has been trying to, you know, kind of get our attention towards. And thankfully today, much of the good science is trying to tell us, yes, nature was onto something and ancient peoples and how they lived and many native cultures still who live very naturally close to the land, they know what they're doing. And the more we can get back to that and away from processed, packaged, convenience box foods, the better off we are. And one last thing, if I can just add, when we talk about plant-based, again, for anyone who's joining us, it's not the idea that, you know, plant-based today, this is what's beautiful about it is you might be a vegetarian, you might be a vegan, and you might not be. But if you can get yourself to eating 75% minimum of your diet to come from plants, you're in a really good place. And if you can up that to 80 90% specifically is where there is good research indicating it's the most healing and protective, then you're in an amazing place. So for anybody who's kind of maybe feeling a little uh, on the edge, maybe a little defensive, like, what are you trying to tell me? I have to remove all the animal products? Not necessarily, but the higher you go, the better, the higher the healing potential, the higher the protection, the higher the prevention. And so this is where, again, we've got choices. And I really encourage people as much as possible to tap into that space of empowerment, do what you can, do what feels right today, and make it a lifelong journey. Yeah, I had, I was going to ask you another question, but I don't want to keep you, we're going to have to do a part two to this because I've only skimmed half of the questions that I had, but it was such an entertaining discussion that I was like, I'm just going to let it flow and and go along with the interview. But your book is Healing and Prevention Through Nutrition. What is your website? I have several to try to help people and depending on which area they are most resonating with at this time. So let's say it's specifically recipes, let's say it's health and nutrition articles, or let's say it's maybe not a health journey from a food perspective, maybe it's a mind spirit journey. But so the best way to access all of the different and by the way, it's thousands of free articles and hundreds of free videos uh, is through Avita oshell.com so just my name and there i list the different resources that people can explore as they see fit and based on their personal needs avita thank you for being on and again her book is healing and prevention through nutrition you can get it on amazon i got it on amazon and i checked it out and i would really recommend this as a guide for people who are just starting there's only a couple of books i recommend as guides this is one of them 
And um, there's a couple I've talked about on podcasts that I recommend as guys too that got me started, but this definitely is one of them as well. Avita, thank you for being on Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much, Dan, and thank you for that wonderful feedback. It was a pleasure. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.